1: Hello everyone, I'm LaToya Johnson, your host for the New Books Network, and I'm here with Andrew Chan to discuss his upcoming book, Why Mariah Carey Matters, an examination on the creative and complicated evolution of the artist. The book makes the case that although she's sold over 220 million albums globally, has more Billboard chart-topping singles than any other solo artist ever, is an inductee of the Songwriters Hall of Fame and is the Recording Industry Association of America's best-selling female albums artist, Carrie's musicianship and influence are still insufficiently appreciated. Andrew writes regularly about music, film, and books, and his work has been published by the Criterion Collection, Film Comment, NPR, The New Yorker, and Reverse Shot. Oh, gosh, Andrew, I love it. Thank you so much for being here with me this morning.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yesterday was Music Box's 30th anniversary.
0: Yes, it was. Oh, my gosh.
1: And she hasn't aged a day.
0: She really has not. (laughs) She looks fresh. She looks happy. Um, You know, that's what being a legend does. mm. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) she's
1: eternally 12. The twins are 12. Absolutely. Absolutely circle at this point oh my god absolutely
0: yeah and she you know she's just got that pre-christmas glow as well you know we love her
1: love her love her so i i just read why mariah carey matters love it so much in your book you refer to carrie as a studio magician have never heard her referred to in that way because she is yes and I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, simply her artistry just isn't fully recognized in the music industry, in pop culture. And there just isn't enough written about Black women and what mm-hmm. they've done in the music industry and what they continue to do. What drew you to creating a narrative around her?
0: I Well, first of all, that phrase studio magician, I felt was really important to introduce into the book because I think there has been some hesitation to really recognize how much Mariah is a studio Um, master, partly because earlier in her career, there were all these rumors that her voice was sort of concocted in the studio, like people couldn't believe that she could hit these high notes. So, And that was the age of Milli Vanilli and people lip syncing and recording technology had changed so much that you could really manipulate sound in ways that were sometimes fraudulent. And so this idea that Mariah is kind of a studio rat, as she herself would describe herself, um, maybe is, is not something that, uh, fans or people who really admire her wanted to, um, attach to her, but she really is. And I say this because I want to honor the work that she does, um, outside of the vocal booth behind the mixing board as a producer, as a vocal arranger, she's someone who believes in the pop song as a unit. And you can hear the love and care and attention she puts into that particular format. Singles, hits. She knows how to craft them, she knows how to write them, she knows how to arrange and produce them and get all of the elements to really click in a studio in a way that's very different from live singing, which you know has is another kind of art form but um, relies a lot more on spontaneity and um, improvisation. But Mariah, she herself would say she's more of a studio singer than a live singer, and that's not taking away from her artistry. It's just that is where she's most comfortable, and that's where her full mastery comes to the fore. But to go to your broader question of why did I want to write this book, I've been loving Mariah Carey, and her music since the mid-90s, in, in the book I talk about how Daydream, her 1995 album, was the first CD that my family uh, bought. And I fell in love instantly with her voice, with her songwriting, and it's been with me for decades now, as it has been with so many people who grew up in my generation, who, you know, soaked in the pop culture influences of the 1990s, Um, whether or not you, whether or not you like her music, you know, she was part of the atmosphere, she was part of the ether. So it really, um, what drew me to write the book was a knowledge that, there was a void that I wanted to fill. Um, there has been really good writing about Mariah, particularly in recent years, but it's mostly been in essay form or um, uh, shorter reviews. Um, the profiles uh, that were written about her in what you would call maybe her heyday or the peak of her fame in the nineties and early two thousands were more on, um uh, uh a celebrity profile angle. And there wasn't really that much in terms of a sustained, lengthy, in depth exploration of her aesthetics and her vocal style, why she sounds the way that she does, and her music as music rather than just simply music as symbol or music as product. Um, I wanted to give her her due. And I knew that I could, from the perspective of a critic, a music critic, um, and uh, what I, I knew that what I could bring to bear in this project was my very specific way of listening to music and particularly to singing. So that was really what drew me first. And also, to be perfectly honest, it was the height of pandemic, and I needed a project. So I thought, let's write our first book.
1: I love it because this was the perfect project. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> because she was getting me through. The music was getting me through. And I thought, okay, I need to thank this woman. Because <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I did too spend a lot of the pandemic on YouTube just watching videos, watching fan videos of mm-hmm. MC. Um, I remember, I recall watching a video where there were fans actually reciting her Billboard Artist of the Decade speech. Have you seen yes. that? Yes,
0: I have. The, the phantom and the creativity that uh, this age of YouTube and social media has enabled is really kind of incredible. And we were talking before we started recording about how it can be hard when you're not super online to mm-hmm. find other lambs. Mm-hmm. And my experience, as I talk about in the book, was was falling in love with her music in private. Um, it wasn't like I grew up with a ton of Lambs and other Mariah fans around me. Like the the people, of course, we were hearing her on the radio. We were inundated with her music. She was everywhere. But I didn't know people who really would admit to loving her as much as I did. And so I talk about when I was younger, there was kind of a struggle as someone who was coming into my own as a serious quote-unquote, serious music lover, someone who's really curious about music, someone who really felt called by music. Um, uh, And when, uh, at that time, uh, there were hierarchies um, of, if you were really into music seriously, you liked certain things, and you didn't like other things. And it seems (laughs) kind of quaint and strange, and... um, backward right now (laughs) but at the time it was like if if you were a serious person um say you were into r b you were into stacks or you were into like the classic soul stuff you weren't into Aaliyah or brandy or you know the people who are coming out right then Um, there was a real discounting of the artistry of these women black women artists primarily um, and uh, even though everyone was consuming this music And, you know, vibing with it There was not a lot of There wasn't a critical framework uh, Within the world of music criticism To appreciate, uplift, and celebrate And try to understand the aesthetics That were emerging at that time in Within R&B mm-hmm. music So, um, uh, what was my point? I think my point is that It was, uh, you know, uh, my Mariah Love happened in private. But in recent years, with the ingenuity and the creativity that we see on social media and on YouTube with the Lambs and the fan community, um, you see that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That there are other people who are just as obsessed with her sound and her style as you have been Mm -hmm. for many years Mm -hmm. and you know these might not be close friends but they're 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 projecting out into the world and sharing um a certain way of listening and experiencing her art that was just not accessible to me when i was younger and uh first listening to all those great hits that she had in the 90s
1: Yes, yes. I think for me recently I listened to her self-titled album and emotions. I listened to them both back to back. And it was I it, it blew my mind that this 19, 20, 21-year-old 20 was producing her own music and writing her own music for a major label. And I feel like that's the that's the facts about MC that we don't talk about, that you've had like she's just she wasn't created, like you said earlier. She wasn't created by Columbia Sony. She she had already mastered a lot of her artistry before even coming in.
0: And it's it's incredible when you listen to to a song like "Vision of Love." What a uh, incredible first single! The woman wrote it when she was not even twenty years old, and sang the crap out of it. Um it, it's it's really a throwing down of the gauntlet and as I uh, you know I sort of chart through the book different kinds of performances and how that song has followed her through her career. I particularly focus on a performance of vision of love that she did during her emancipation of Mimi comeback era in 2005. Um, on BET. And that song, its message of resilience and triumph and, um, but also acknowledgement of pain, deep pain, um, deep sorrow, deep despair um, is not something that people were ready to take seriously from coming from the mouth of a 20 year old woman who was in a relationship, I mean, I uh, I don't think it was apparent to everyone that she was um, in a relationship with Tommy Mottola, the CEO of Sony Music, her record label at the time, um, but already she had the trappings of a manufactured star because the major label machinery was behind her and pushing her and promoting her Uh, up to the skies, you know? So um, it's understandable that music culture sort of moved in a direction that became incredibly suspicious of major labels and saw them as a representation of corporate culture and the corporatization of artistry. That makes sense to me. But because she was so... um, ensconced in in that world and became kind of a symbol of the privileges that um, that are given to artists who are prioritized within that system. I think it was hard for people to understand that she's writing songs about her life, um, which was not um, a totally rosy picture. Um, And she's writing from a really deep place. And the mastery was there from such a young age. So, um, you know, misogyny plays into that. Racism plays into that as well. Um, But the discounting of this woman who was giving so much so early in her career um, is really kind of wild to look back on. Mm
1: -hmm. And I always say that you can't have the longevity that MC has had in this, this business that just eats you alive. Like you can't have her longevity and not be intelligent, not be hardworking, not be someone that's that creates for yourself she's an artist and a creative in her own right and so and i that's one thing that I, I like to point out to people all the time and i've pointed that out for a long time because i've always been obsessed with the fact that she makes she produces and song and writes yeah. music
0: I, yeah and her her artistic fingerprint is on the entirety of the record um from the songwriting to the production to the vocal arranging which I think gets short shrift often when we talk about it because I think a lot of critics maybe don't understand what that entails. I mean, I'm not a vocal arranger either and you know, I'm not part of that world so I don't even I can't even say with complete certainty what goes into that process and there's not a lot of documentation of Mariah in that process and therefore because we don't have A lot of that access to behind the scenes footage of that happening because she is such a private person when it comes to her work in the studio i think maybe it's hard for people to understand that she has her hand in that as she herself has noted it's not like she's um joni mitchell with a guitar in her hands or alicia keys at the piano so people um understand singer-songwriter as someone who plays an instrument Mariah has her instrument in her throat, you know, so, but she doesn't actually play piano or guitar. So I think that lack of, um, um, visual association with her and an instrument is maybe what, um, causes people to not understand, um, that she is writing and producing and arranging these songs.
1: And I'm so happy that you, you, um, brought that up of us not being able to see her, see her, how how her music comes to fruition. Um, and it made me think of uh, uh, something that you wrote in the book. You said, in a matter of just a few years, I'd become embarrassed about loving Mariah. I'd internalized the message that certain kinds of music deserved more attention than others. And it wasn't worthwhile to take artists like Mariah seriously. And I feel as if that was a foundational opinion, specifically in the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s regarding her and her music. And I just, I wanted to ask, because we couldn't visually see her making music, where did that self-consciousness originate? And when did you revert back to being like, oh, MC is the real deal? Like,
0: yeah. I think it's because uh, partly you just soak up these messages from the culture, almost through osmosis. You, you you look in magazines, you read your favorite music critics, if you've become conscious of music criticism as a thing, as I did when I was younger, Um And you don't see anyone writing about her seriously. If they are writing about her, it's almost in an apologetic way or kind of like downplaying the achievements or saying, oh, she has an amazing voice, but the songs are very cookie cutter and cliched. And then review after review, article after article, this impression kind of solidifies. And then the fact that I didn't have any friends who really took her seriously or admitted as much um, sort of reinforces that. And I also want to say, as much as uh, there's a social kind of identity layer in this discounting of her as well, because um, not only was she discounted for being a mixed race woman, a black woman, but myself as a young gay person, a listener of music, her music had become so associated with Queerness with gayness And um, At that time At a young age I knew I was gay, I knew I was different But I wasn't out yet and, and loving Mariah's music Became almost like this instant Signifier that you were If you were a man or a boy That you were gay And so um, To admit That you listened to her music Or loved her music uh, would have been to admit that, and I think i um, uh, was ready to to say that to myself, but not share it with others uh, because I was so young and and in a sense protecting myself from the harm that would come from such an admission. Uh, so I am interested in how um queer her audience is now how queer the Lamely, which is what we call her fam her base of uh, hardcore fans um it it is so gay (laughs) and she knows this uh she she um acknowledges that and it's quite Unique. I'm not saying that there aren't other gay icons, queer icons, there certainly are, but Mariah has spent decades cultivating and nurturing her relationship with her queer fans, and I think there's something really special about being now in my mid-30s, having grown up with this woman who I rejected for a period of time or maybe discounted for a period of time, partly because of my own internal internalized homophobia or internalized fear of what loving her music might mean about me, what it might say about me. And now to be in full adulthood, the light of full adulthood with all its responsibilities and the honesty that you learn to, um, show the world (laughs) as you grow up um and to uh, live in the in the reality of of my experience as a gay man uh means that i can look back um and embrace everything about my love of mariah
1: And thank you so much for saying that, Andrew. Because that's something that I never thought about being a a quirky cisgendered woman that I could just love Mariah freely and no one bat an eyelash. But I think we there are people in Lamley that forget that yes, yeah, she is an icon of of a culture that's you know just been suppressed and repressed and. That's a, and that's, that's
0: a no, you got that's part of what makes it has made that connection with her music so special, too, is because it was cultivated almost in private and then also exchanged every once in a while as a kind of code. You know, in the book, I talk about these uh, two. Um, I didn't know for sure whether they were queer or gay, but one could assume there's a danger in assuming that, but. It is almost like this kind of whisper network of um, other fans of this kind of virtuosic women's singing um, that I uh, encountered when I was younger. There is a man that I met on a, a chat group in the early years of um, the internet when I was very young. I don't think I was even 11 years old at that time, but we had just gotten internet And this elder pen pal that I um, started a friendship with through the chat group, and then it moved on to email. I don't remember his name. I don't have access to the emails anymore, but I vividly remember that we spent probably a year chatting back and forth about singers, women singers, divas. Whitney Houston, Tony Braxton, Mariah Carey, um you know mary j blige all all these incredible women from the 90s and mariah was his girl and as much as i loved her at the time i think it was really his um i would say cultural mentorship we never talked about gayness we never talked about sexuality in those emails i don't even think i would have had the vocabulary to engage at that time because I was so young, but through our um, grappling with our love of this music, it became th- one of the first encounters and friendships that I ever had with a community member, a, a another queer person. Um, and and there's another figure that I talk about at the end of the book who I was not close to but was also someone who clearly loved this music. Um, so so in the book I I talk about how isolating a queer experience can be, but the music uh, offers an opportunity to open out and and people who connect with this music. It's interesting that it it becomes almost an assumption. Um, that you're sharing a similar kind of experience to me. There's something in the music. and and I think it's interesting you bring up your experience as a cisgender woman loving this music. Uh, I'm fascinated that, for me, within the specificity of my experience as a gay Asian American cisgender man can connect so deeply um across difference with a woman who is a mixed-race, black, Mm -hmm. cisgender woman, Mm -hmm. um, these are not the same experiences, Mm -hmm. um, and one must not conflate them. They come with their own specific uh, hardships and joys, but um, I think there's something really beautiful um, in the... I I don't want to misuse the word solidarity. I think that that can, (laughs) it's kind of a popular word now. I don't want to just throw it around, but there is something, um, maybe kinship, maybe kinship is the word, um, across different identities. And um, I think that's something beautiful that art, specifically music, can achieve, Mm
1: -hmm. And especially with MC, because you talked about being 11 and having these conversations about her. And I remember vividly being this 14, 15-year-old in my bedroom, singing Slipping Away, which was a big oh. ride to always be oh, my baby. Oh, okay. And the lamb comes today. out. The lamb comes out. It yeah. comes out. <laughs> Andrew. And I remember singing that song as if mm. I had like a deep kinship or you know with with being heartbroken and Mm -hmm. which i had not i had not even experienced my first heartbreak (laughs) but you could not tell me in my bedroom that i did not Mm -hmm. understand mc and what she was saying in that Mm -hmm. song i think that her influence it just it surpasses so many groups it's and I think we don't think about that that she influences she was influencing not older only the older generation who loved her for her contemporary sound but also the younger generation as well and that her music when you listen to all of her albums they they're contemporary in their time like they're modern in each of their times which is not something that all artists can achieve
0: she, has. yeah, she's such a lover of music that she can be a chameleon like that, and she evolves with the sound of um, what's going on in the present culture. So that's that's part of the key of her longevity is that she just soaks up music, and she was always so good at moving between styles between pop, adult contemporary, R and B, gospel, house, hip hop. She's one of those rare artists who is able to seamlessly move across styles and for it to seem natural, not just to put on, not just something that she just, you know, threw on the costume, like she's cosplaying a hip hop artist. No, she she loves you can tell the genuine love that she has for each of these styles and her understanding of what connects them, too, which is what allows her to mix all these styles together. But I want to go back to what you said, which I think is beautiful about you listening to Slipping Away even before you'd felt heartbreak. That is one of the most miraculous things about music, isn't it? um, It it teaches us before we have um, ever experienced grief, heartbreak, or even certain kinds of joy and pleasure through the sound, through pure sound, we're able to partake in that experience even without having some concrete reality um, uh, in our face. So we know the language, the sonic language of heartbreak before we've been heartbroken. We know what it's like to lose a loved one before anyone in our family or any friend of ours has died because we've heard one sweet day. It, it, something about the music is preparing us for these experiences that we're going to have in life and is schooling us, M- music as a teacher, not just a healer or not just a, a mode of catharsis, but music as, as a life teacher. Um, that's really profound. And, and it's not just Mariah, Uh, you know, uh, I can think of, you know, listening to Aretha Franklin, or listening to Donny Hathaway, or Elle Fitzgerald, Judy Garland, Frank Sinatra, all these great vocalists who I adored when I was younger. And um, there is a point in the book where I talk about The three major singles in um, Daydream, which was her 1995 album, and uh, you had Fantasy, One Sweet Day, and Always Be My Baby. And each of them had its own mood and distinct emotional world. And I talk about the the rollout of those singles and how they dominated the entire year of 1995-96 as a kind of sentimental education for me as a, uh, what, 10, 11-year-old, um, that these different distinct emotional um, experiences exist. Euphoria, heartbreak, grief, um, and but they're all tied together through this one artist who is bringing them to life sonically. And they're also tied to a similar kind of uh, aesthetic ecstasy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think even before I had, um, personally experienced grief, heartbreak, loss, um, the music was teaching me something.
1: Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned her, like her three breakout singles from the Daydream album. And I want to focus a little bit on that as far as the songs, that you chose to analyze in Why Mariah mm-hmm. Matters, because MC has recorded fifteen studio albums. Oh my god,
0: it's a lot. It's <laughs> a, lot. a
1: lot of albums. I think mm-hmm. I think Prince is the only other artist that's outdone her as a solo yeah, artist, yeah. ordering recording that number of albums. And yeah. you know, from her self titled debut in nineteen ninety two, Caution in twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. and so her catalog is insane.
0: Mm-hmm. And yep.
1: And in, dis- in dissecting her work, like, how did you decide what songs you
0: would analyze? I love this question because it was a struggle, honey. It was <laughs> really... <laughs> you know, the book could be three times as long mm-hmm. if I wanted to talk about every single song I loved. And certainly there's so much to mine and analyze. But, you know... Uh, I didn't want to lose my reader. <laughs> you know, um, There's a, there will be a place and time someday for me to go into some of the songs that I neglected, which it, it is painful for me sometimes to think about, oh, how could I have not written two paragraphs about slipping away, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which is one of my absolute favorite Mariah oh, songs. But you kindred. I knew it. I know. That song <laughs> just slays me. But um, she what I knew I had to do was I needed to figure out what themes and what aspects of her artistry I wanted to convey and explore. And the songs uh, are used as evidence. So uh, what comes first are the ideas and the um, the things I want to express about what's special in her style and her sound and then i find the song that illustrates that and so wh- the the songs that i focus on are you know among my my absolute favorite mc tracks but Uh, there are definitely ones that I love even more that I didn't go into partly because they just didn't fit what I was Mm -hmm. um, trying to discuss but for instance uh, I knew I wanted to get into the art of multi-track recording and layering uh, what people call layering or stacking your vocals Mariah is one of the greatest masters of this art form and this, this is what we call vocal arranging she Sometimes she has background vocalists that she brings in, like the great Kelly Price, the great uh, Melanie Daniels, um, those uh, Trey Lorenz. Uh, she has worked with a core group of background singers um, for much of the heyday of her career. But as her career progresses, she's often just stacking her own vocals. She's resinging everything she's singing all the harmonies and she's creating these dense layers of vocal sound uh, by stacking her voice one on top of the other so she's really a master at that and i knew that to illustrate the art of that i would want to draw on songs like the roof from the butterfly album 1997 Um, I knew that I wanted to talk about how she uses rhythm and how she incorporates hip-hop cadences into her singing and really becomes, to me, one of the great hip-hop singers um, of that era. And so I knew I wanted to talk about Breakdown, which is also on the Butterfly album, or uh, a deep cut like The One from um, the Charm Bracelet album. (laughs) where she is um, really phenomenally and expertly navigating really tricky rhythms and cadences. So that's sort of where I proceeded from. The ideas first, the themes, the stylistic elements that I wanted to highlight, and then using the songs to sort of back up my arguments.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Now, you answering that question made me think of another question. If you could write a book, Ooh. a book of this caliber, mm-hmm. of Mariah Carey Matters, on one MC album. Oh. Oh, I know, I hate and you know what? I would not want anyone to ask me that question. Mm.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, it probably would have to be butterfly because it's there's butterfly. just so much there in terms of It's connection to her personal life. This was an album that she recorded um, amid her separation from Tommy Mottola, who we just mentioned earlier in the episode, um, her husband for a few years and the head of her record label. Mm -hmm. So it was a very tumultuous time in her personal life. And uh, the the tumult in her personal life fed the artistic growth that we see on that album. And that album really paves the way for a lot of the, um, stylistic evolution that was going to happen in her career from then on. It definitively shifted her from being this cookie cutter, adult contemporary pop star to being a full, a fully formed um brilliant r b and hip-hop artist so uh, it was kind of a, a redefinition you know not a um not a complete pivot away from what she had done before it was building on a lot of the groundwork that she had already laid in her previous albums but um that is kind of a breakthrough. Um, artistic Breakthrough that would be really interesting to dive into at book length. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have it in me to do it again, but um, that to me that is her masterpiece. But she also has, you know, there's so many great albums. Uh, Emancipation of Mimi. Caution, as we mentioned um, before, is her latest album from 2018. But that is, you know, a fantastic work of songwriting and production. Mm-hmm. Um, her consistency is extraordinary.
1: I'm so happy you mentioned that, Andrew, because she is she is probably one of the most consistent artists. Oh yeah. my gosh, yes. And I feel like uh, the elusive chanteuse is an album that a lot of people just kind of overlook. Oh. Andrew, oh my
0: gosh elusive chanteuse uh, come on that she is <laughs> that yeah. contains some of her most heartbreaking songwriting i think camouflage um faded mm-hmm. these songs and she she was headed into her divorce from nick cannon um at the time it was released i don't think we really knew that but um there's a lot of feeling of abandonment Mm -hmm. in that album. And immediately when I heard it, I thought, okay, something, um, something's going on in her personal life. And, you know, that's what's beautiful about um, an artist like her. She is as much as people talk about the spectacle and the persona that she has crafted over the years the sort of the glamorous and and the kind of campy um, image that she has um, she's bringing a lot of her heart and soul into this music Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to the point where you can sort of tell where she is in her life through it
1: and that's why it's so easy for us to identify at any age with mc's music is Mm -hmm. because even though she brings a persona we, we When you're listening deeply, you know, oh, this is a human being going through the same things that I'm going through, mm-hmm. dealing with the same things I'm dealing with. So, yes, I feel like um, the Elusive Shantoo's actually holds a special, special place to me and Charm Bracelet. Charm Bracelet.
0: Charm Bracelet is wonderful oh, and really underrated. I didn't understand. So how, I didn't understand. Actually, having been a fan for this many years, I think it's kind of funny that I didn't really give that album its special place Mm -hmm. in her discography until i really started diving in for this book Mm -hmm. um i think that um, the release of that album kind of coincided with my uh, a a dip in my interest in mariah when i was in high school i want to say but that is uh, that album has some of her best songwriting Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. Uh, subtle invitation. The one is just a a favorite of mine clown, um, songs that most people don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, the depth of her catalog. I mean, if people were to go back, I was actually building a playlist, um, for some of my friends, uh, for the book launch. And I was trying to whittle it down and I came up with a playlist that was eight hours long. And I was like, okay, we can't can't be sending that. We can't make people listen to that. I mean, it's it's a joy and a pleasure straight through. But if you're just coming to MC and you don't really know her music like that, like I can't just dump this on your lap. So I I managed to get it down to five hours. I mean, that's, you know, five hours of essential music. I couldn't, after five hours, after I got it down to five hours, I couldn't remove a single track because I was like, no, these are all too essential. That's a lot. For a one artist,
1: mm-hmm. oh gosh, and that's why when I was reading it, I'm like, I just don't understand how Andrew just was able to narrow it down to these songs. Because even just going back and listening to her earlier work, which mm-hmm. I had, I came my the extent of my fandom really came um with Butterfly. I think that's where a lot yeah. of us That's you know, I was a Mariah fan, but mm-hmm. i it was crazy with Butterfly. So I'm. Right. Like, oh, how did Andrew, well, how was he able to do this? <laughs> oh my gosh. And then to like go in a little bit into mythologies about MC and her legacy, mm-hmm. I, was, um, I was listening to Daniel Smith's Black Girl Songbook.
0: Such a great book.
1: Such a great, great, great. She had that podcast episode about MC. Yes. And she was interviewing Marvette Brito, who was MC's former publicist. Mm -hmm. And she told the story of how Good Morning America's summer concert series began. And it began with Carrie performing outside to promote The Emancipation of Mimi. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I scour on the internet trying to find this information and I can't yeah. find it, but it takes listening to Brito give this yeah. information. Like we don't know this. Like right. this huge television program started an entire series that's still ongoing.
0: Right. right. Of MC. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing.
1: It is amazing. And these are the things about her legacy that we don't don't know about. Like can you talk a bit about? the mythologies around MC and her legacy and how they contribute to her legacy.
0: I think, you know, they've, they've evolved and I, I go into mythology, uh, pretty early in the book because that has been so much at the forefront of people's minds Mm -hmm. for so long. People see the myth before they even can really listen closely to what the music is. Um, and her image has evolved over the years. You know, she was seen as this industry darling who was propped up by the powers that be at Columbia Records, including Tommy Mottola, uh, who she married, who she was married to for a time, and that sort of pigeonholed her as someone who wasn't really serious. Then she becomes. Um, kind of a glamour puss a a true diva who then you know is wearing glamorous outfits and is kind of flaunting her wealth as she does in that you know famous MTV Cribs uh, episode (laughs) where you see her um, Tribeca penthouse um, and her sense of humor starts coming through and that also leads to a bit of a conundrum in terms of her reception because people start writing her off as kind of superficial and, um, a little self-involved or, um, uh, yeah, frivolous. Mm-hmm. So, I, um, but, yeah, so there are those myths. There are also myths about her racially. You know she um there was a myth that uh, went around for years that sort of um purported that she did not embrace black as her identity um or that she was trying to pass as white. Uh, Which was never the case, because even in her earliest interviews, she says, uh, my father is Black and Venezuelan-American. My mother is Irish-American. She was very uh, forthright about those things, but that also followed her around for a while. So, um, But I think now, um, in recent years, I want to say maybe the past five or or ten years, a reappraisal of her has, um, been afoot. And I I think that is partly the, um, result of time. Time passes, She's th- more than 30 years into her career. People are ready to start grappling with the music, and it's separated from, you know, the context, uh, the sort of industrial context that uh, from which she emerged, and people can hear the music for what it is. Um, and she has emerged as one of the great figures of that period. You have um, uh, publications like Pitchfork, which before would turn their nose up at her, Put, now putting her at number one on their list of greatest songs um, of the 1990s. Um, you have Rolling Stone giving her her flowers. Um, so there's kind of a strange disconnect in her uh, mythology and in her cultural reception that makes her such an interesting figure to talk about. Her career is full of contradictions. Her work Is kind of paradoxical as well Mm -hmm. um so you you end up with this figure who is massively influential globally beloved and just a household name just just universally known um while also somehow being underappreciated and um not yet getting her due Mm -hmm. um I I I predict that, you know, in 10 more years it's going to become completely clear to pretty much everyone that she is the equal of, you know, the great pop greats of of the 60s and 70s um and we'll be talking about her in the same breath as um you know who can who can I name? The Beatles. Oh, why not
1: the Beatles? Just, yeah, who I love. I, I, I adore. Them. She's trailing behind, she's very yeah, yeah. yeah Just like the a Beatles couple band. more hits. Let's go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, she, uh, yes, uh, I I think I'm confident in saying like a song like "Always Be My Baby." I don't see that as being any less of a brilliant work of pop genius than um, what the Beatles yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh yeah.
1: I just, I loved that you mentioned the paradox with MC because she's such a music lover. And mm-hmm. when the remix to fantasy dropped that yeah. caused a lot of pandemonium. And, yeah. I, and there is a, one of my favorite songs on the elusive Chanteuse dedicated.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there's at the end when Jermaine Dupree says, you know, she was damn near part of the Wu Tang Clan, and no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Come and even, on. even
1: it shocked him that this this songbird is hanging mm-hmm. out, <laughs> listening Listen, to the Chambers.
0: <laughs> she she was she was going to Manhattan as a young as a young woman. She was a sophisticated young New York woman loving hip-hop listening Mm -hmm. to the radio Mm -hmm. she 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 is a huge hip-hop lover it it is amazing and um there is a quote from puff daddy i don't know what we call him now diddy puff daddy at the time he was puff daddy (laughs) um
1: listen uh, i call him this puffy puffy puff you know
0: uh, (laughs) who was behind the Bad Boy remix Mm -hmm. of the ODB remix of Fantasy. And um, I think he was interviewed by Vibe magazine in 95 or 96. And he said, this is Mariah's idea Mm -hmm. to use ODB. And she's not just doing this because it's going to give her some street cred. She loves hip hop. Mm -hmm. She listens to hip hop. And I think you you come across this over and over again where you... uh, it's, it would be easy to dismiss if you don't know her music that well. If you're trying to dismiss her as an artist, you might say, oh, she's into hip-hop because that's going to give her street cred. Oh, she's into house music just because she wants to cross over to the gay audience. Oh, she's into this kind of music or that kind of music just because it's going to make her look cool. And then you discover that actually she has deep, almost encyclopedic knowledge of these kinds of music uh, you know, doing my research for the the chapter, the third chapter of the book, which focuses on house and gospel music, I I had to do quite a bit of research. Partly because I didn't know that much about house music. Mm-hmm. I do love gospel music. I, I grew up pretty religious, um, but um, but I also needed to do um, a certain amount of research to get up to speed on. Uh, the codes within that musical world and 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 the background and the history that informs a lot of Mariah's music. But she knows her gospel so deep. Um, and so uh, just, I think there's something really beautiful about how she soaks up these influences. Um, I think some people might see it as opportunistic or even appropriation. Uh, because she, she's not necessarily uh, someone who came up in those communities. And yet she um, manages to embody these styles and use them um, for her own art. And I think um, she always talks about being an outsider. And a lot of people um, in her fan base really uh, feel that. And that's what we connect to is her outsideness. And I think there's something really beautiful about how even as she stands slightly apart from these musical styles, she's she understands them as if she's someone from within. Mm-hmm. Um, and she uses them to feed her soul. Yes.
1: Yes. Was there anything about MC and her music that you wrote about, but it didn't make it into why Mariah Carey matters? And you're like, oh, I wish I would have left that in. but
0: um i didn't write about it but i think i could share this i haven't actually said this to so you're getting the exclusive <laughs> um Lambly, actually... getting the exclusive. yeah i've actually met mariah um so uh, this uh, shout out to my friend lisa thomas who is one of the biggest lambs in my life uh we both entered a contest um uh, I want to say maybe seven or eight years ago, uh, Mariah was doing a fundraiser for St. Jude's Hospital. And if you donated $20, $30, you would enter uh, um, this contest to get... Uh, the prize was a private concert at her apartment for Valentine's Day. We both entered. My friend Lisa won. And we we went to her place... for a concert and we sang together i sang slipping away with her she harmonized with me um i've probably shared too much (laughs) already i'll just leave it at that but i i i sort of grappled with whether i wanted to bring that into the book and ultimately i felt it it didn't quite belong because um it just wasn't where I was going intellectually with the book, but I will share that as something that informs the project that, um, meeting her, seeing how gracious she was being able to sing with her, um, which I talk in the book about how, you know, I really do think about this book, uh, in a sense as being the project of a failed amateur singer myself. Um, you know, I've loved singing since I was a kid, Mariah, listening to Mariah really taught me how to sing in many ways. Uh, and, but I was never, you know, I was never a virtuoso. I I could never do what she does. And I think, um, I've always been very self-aware about that. Um, but that has never dimmed my love of singing, listening to it and doing it. So to have that moment with her where she's harmonizing with me on Slipping Away um, uh, was a completely and totally magical moment. But I, I, I felt it, I, it didn't quite belong in the book because it would have maybe overwhelmed it. And I, I wanted the, the book to stand alone as a work of criticism. Um, and I wanted to be very careful about the bits of memoir that i weaved through because i i i see the elements of memoir as um obviously important to explaining why she matters uh she matters because she matters to me right personally but i did not want to have those stories dominate i wanted them to sort of just be so su- support and and sort of propping up the story but for me this was more of a intellectual investigation um why does she matter why does she sound the way she does um feeding my own curiosity i already know my personal stories um but i wanted to answer some questions for myself and that's really what this book was about
1: thank you so much andrew for speaking with me, like I am blown away that you got <laughs> to speak, <laughs> that you got to sing with MC. I love it.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: oh my it's god. It's a
0: surreal experience. But I will say, um, uh, she's human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As if we need to be reminded of that, but we do forget that. That's that's what stardom does. It 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 brings us. It can bring us close to these incredible people, incredible artists, and and it makes. Um, it makes us being able to be moved by their music possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's something beautiful about stardom. It allows us to connect with other fans who sometimes have similar experiences to ours, Um, but um, it can also dehumanize the artist. And I think something that I wanted to um, convey through the book is... uh, um, she's a human being that is what I part of what I love about her artistry is that her humanity comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not trying to be superwoman. Um, her insecurities are worn on her sleeve. Um, and she opens up to us in a very intimate way. And so meeting her in a sense, uh, was kind of a shock to the system. And, um, you know, of course, I was starstruck and kind of beside myself, but at the same time, it it makes sense. She uh, because what the connection that she establishes with her fans is a human one. Oh, oh Andrew <laughs> Latoya,
1: I love it so much. I'm like, oh, <laughs> why, McCar- why Mariah Carey matters. Publishes September twelfth. Yes. Go out and get it, read it. It is magnificent. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being here. Thank
0: you so much for having me and for reading it and with such care and attention. There's also going to be a book tour. I don't know where you are or where your listeners are, (laughs) but it's going to start in Brooklyn. We're going to San Francisco, LA, Atlanta. DC, and then back to Manhattan. So if you can join us, uh, just look online for those events.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, LaToya.